Welcome to this episode of the Jake Fine Podcast. Today I'm interviewing Autumn Payne, who was a photographic journalist turned video journalist turned independent journalist, videographer, and documentary filmmaker. So I actually came across her via Instagram. One of the pages that was suggested to me had a post about basically like the experience of making a documentary film. And I commented with my two cents and we started a conversation. I got in her DMs and said, hey, um, thanks for interacting with me in the comments. I'd love to have you on a podcast about documentary filmmaking, yada, yada, yada. And here we are. So we got to talk about the difference between journalism and documentary filmmaking, along with the similarities between those two, um, the intricacies of making a film, planning a documentary film, being an independent documentary filmmaker, how to make money as a documentary filmmaker, etc. So if those are things you're interested in, this is the episode for you. I'm not going to keep talking. Hopefully you enjoy this episode because I sure as hell did. At this point, I can't afford to turn jobs down. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. out there in LA. You got you to gotta bring in the money. Yeah, um, yeah. So, okay. So I, I, your comment about that we we had a little dialogue on Instagram. Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. <laughs> I'm sorry about this. Um, so... We had a back and forth on Instagram. You had been talking about the differences between like documentary work and then journalism and how there's like overlaps, but there's also like the difference of journalism can sometimes be more forced and created in a way, quote unquote, like than just simple like observational documentary work. And I thought that was very interesting. I had seen an interview with Steve James before. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Uh, no. Is so, he a filmmaker? Yes. And Steve James is, um, he did Hoop Dreams. Oh, yes. Yeah. America to Me. Like, he's done a bunch of, like, big network documentaries and stuff. Um, and actually, he lives in the town that I live in. And he did a documentary about my high school when I was a freshman. And it was on Stars and stuff. And I, so I looked up an interview with him and he said, like, documentary is a thousand lies to make one truth. Like, that's very interesting viewpoint. I find that yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like, I don't even know what to do about this. <laughs> <laughs> this cat. The cat wants to be interviewed. I'm like, come on, dude. You can't even speak. Um, okay. So. I feel like that's the best way you could put it just because like when you're it's not like you can just like record stuff that happens and then like throw it together in complete chronological order and then that's make true. something that people want to watch. So right. you kind of have like truth telling the truth in every single shot and every single cut like is impossible if you want to make something entertaining. So you kind of have but it all has to make the truth in 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 some way. True. So, I'm curious, like, I feel like nobody talks about the, the journalism side of documentary filmmaking. And that's, I want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, well, I'd love to share it because that's, I'm coming in as an industry outsider because I've got 20 years in journalism now. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and 
I filmmaking is not my background. I didn't go to film school. I'm a journalist. So um, it's completely foreign to me to see um, kind of how things are approached from the filmmaker's perspective. Um, I'm learning a lot, but I'm hoping to combine the best of both worlds and uh, bring something unique to filmmaking from my journalism experience. Yeah. Um, and also bring some of the wonderful things about filmmaking that I couldn't do as a journalism, as a journalist into the process as well. So I really believe well, there's a lot of magic that can happen at the intersection of two different um, areas of yeah. looking at things. What are the differences you see off the bat? Between filmmaking and journalism? Yeah. Um, well, like we talked about, the, the creation of a story. Well, actually, I'm going to back up. The first one, the, the major difference is the way um, sponsors are a part of filmmaking processes. So say you're making a documentary um, that's promoting the keto diet, and you've got people that are interested in promoting the keto diet that will give you money to make this film. And then you yeah. find all the evidence, the anecdotal evidence to support why the keto diet is the best diet so you're not looking to find the truth you're looking to um, create a story that promotes a certain perspective um, same right. with the vegan diet so um, in journalism uh, have you heard of the guy um, michael pollan he's a he's a journalist who did some uh, books on the topic of diet and he also did um, some documentaries on diet as well, but he's a journalist first. So he set out to find out the truth of what the best diet is. So okay. as a journalist, I'm looking for truth. I'm not looking to back up my perspective and find evidence to only support that perspective. I'm looking for the big picture and then to give you like, without saying it should be this or that, I'm trying to say um, this is what really is. And it's a little bit more confusing maybe at first, but that's our job as storytelling, as storytellers is to try to make it more digestible to the public. That is, okay, so I'm a little shocked just because I, when I think of media, like, or, like, like journalism and the media and like that side of content nowadays, it's like, I think of, I almost get a sense of like the media isn't what searches for the truth. Like they're searching for views, they're searching for fear mongering. But then from an independent individual journalist, I hear about how you're just truth seeking and and then the documentary filmmaking is like where it starts to get like a little corrupt. That is so interesting to me. Yeah, like you would think it's like not what you would think. Is... Well, it's what I would think because I have a degree in journalism and I've been working in it for 20 years, but lately the narrative has changed um, to demonize journalists. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, journalists are going out there trying to seek the truth. Um, does that mean we always succeed? No, we don't because we're human and we make mistakes and maybe we have our own biases here or there, but at least we make an attempt. Right. Like we really truly make an attempt. And for any journalist that 
is not making attempt at truth, like they're not going to get a job. And if it's found out that they're trying to promote false information, they're going to get fired. Like mm -hmm. it's plain and simple. But the thing is, I look at it as sort of a shoot the messenger, don't shoot the messenger type of a situation, you know, where the king brings in the messenger, the, the king doesn't like the message, so he shoots the messenger, right? <laughs> Yeah. It's sort of where journalists are at right now, where right. we say, well, hey, this is going on. And people are like, we don't like it. So you're wrong. But with documentary film, you can choose the films that agree with your viewpoint. And you can sit there and eat popcorn and say, oh, I'm so right. And I feel really good about this. You yeah. Know? So it's, it's uh, something that people enjoy doing is to feel right. Right? Yeah. People enjoy feeling right. They don't like to have their viewpoints challenged. And uh, that's what real journalism do, does sometimes is challenge your viewpoints. It's it, So what I'm gathering is it's like it's not one type of media that distorts truth in the name of like capitalism or like in like making money or like it's you're you're from all different you're from photography and you're from you're a journalist and you now you're just doing documentary filmmaking and you're seeing it across the board in general well here's the problem with the term the media okay it's really vague yes. and people throw it around all the time the media can mean our documentary <laughs> films the media could mean mainstream media the media can mean books social uh, media Social media. I mean, the media really means nothing. It could mean a fashion magazine as media. So it's just more like when you hear that term, you're just more like, like it's just people blaming this bigger thing that's not. It's almost like avoiding personal. No, it's much easier to look at me and say, you're fake <laughs> than it yeah. is to say the media is fake news, right? But um, there, there's a good, it's good to make a distinction between media, which is all media that we consume and mainstream news media, which follows a certain set of ethical principles when it delivers it. And even within that, newspapers are vastly different from television. So television, is, if it bleeds, it leads. So they're gonna go after the, what's gonna, attract someone's attention when they're flipping through the television. So they're going to go more towards your murders, your car accidents, things that are more um, exciting like that. Whereas in newspapers, someone's going to sit down and read a story. Um, there's more depth to it. So the media is a catch-all term for anything we don't like, but there's actually a huge variety. Yes. So when I, like when I was referring to how people don't like the media and they feel like the media is not truthful i was referring to mainstream news media i just didn't have that yeah yeah okay i'm I'm just clarifying for like anybody who's listening just because like um i didn't i didn't have that term in my repertoire until you said it so but perks of doing a podcast but um so what's what's your documentary about well, my documentary is called Judah the Lionheart, and it's about a four-year-old little boy with congenital heart defects. Wow. And so he was uh, diagnosed in utero with these severe defects. Um, it was recommended that maybe the mother might abort the pregnancy 
um, but she chose to bring this child to, ter uh, to term, not knowing if he was even going to survive birth. And it's been a huge journey. He just had his fourth open heart surgery and there's been some complications after that. And it's just documenting what uh, medical families go through um, with such a difficult situation with caring for a medically fragile child. So the crazy thing about this, and this is something I didn't know until I met the mother, is that um, congenital heart defects are the number one cause of infant death in the country and perhaps, wow. probably even the world. And I didn't even know that. So uh, 40,000 children a year are born in the US with these defects. And there are many people going through this, but there's not very much funding or awareness on the topic. So it's a very personal story to this family, but it also represents what many people are going through. So it has a social um, impact aspect to it. Mm -hmm. So what, what are you doing with the film? Like, is it, made, is it finished? No, so currently I'm in the filming process. Okay. Um, I'm hoping to finish filming by the end of the summer and then move into post-production. Um, at this point, I'm pretty much doing it on my own for the most part. I've got a composer that I'm working with, a storytelling consultant, and the mother, of course, is working very closely with me to tell this story. But um, we'll be moving into fundraising and looking for sponsors. I have one sponsor currently and he's amazing because he's um, very concerned with truth. You know, he's like, do your thing. Just find out the truth. We're not trying to promote an agenda. Just here's some sponsorship. And yeah, so shout out to Middleway Health for, mm -hmm. for doing that. How, how for sponsors, I want to hear more about how, how you're getting sponsors and what, what is that process like? How, do, how does a sponsor involve themselves in a film in your experience? Well, so far I've, I've got the one and this is somebody that I knew that personally um, wanted to help. He uh, uh, has a foundation, a mental health foundation and he wanted to help. So that was the, our first sponsor. But for the next step, we're applying for 5013C status. So to operate as a nonprofit and then we can accept donations as a nonprofit and people can use it as a tax uh, write-off. So there will be most likely a crowdfunding campaign um, in the fall, unless we get significant sponsorship before that from other sources, but I'll be applying for grants. So first is the 5013C and then applying for grants. And then if we don't get enough grant money, then we'll move into crowdfunding. Gotcha. So you're already filming and you're planning on filming through end of summer. What, where does that sponsorship money go? Cause it doesn't sound like you need it for the filming process. Well, uh, I have my gear and I'm filming, yeah. but to be honest, it's burning a hole in my pocket, right? Because every day that I'm uh, filming, I am not spending making money um, with my other videography. So, in short, uh, I do need to get my expenses paid because there's been uh, travel. I need to pay my composer, uh, legal, all of these things. So there are expenses, but 
it would be nice to uh, make some money to pay for some of the time involved as well because I do need to pay my own bills. Right. Okay. I'm and I I ask that just because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot to be learned there with each and every filmmaker. Like, why why what what does the financial side of being a documentary filmmaker look like? I'm like I'm genuinely curious when I ask that because I have no idea. So tell me like 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 um like like I'm young I'm starting to make documentary films and the first one I made was just completely by myself with like my aunt's point and shoot and then like I ended up saving up some money and buying a camera and I finished like I finished filming it with the Canon 80D are you do you know what that camera is Okay so it's basically like it's a it's a it's a DSLR but it's like mid level it's not even professional and then um but I did it and then like this next one I'm doing I'm making it about a fighter and the fighter put up the budget to do it which is like very it's like micro budget but I'm I just have no idea how it works so I'm just like what is how do you like how do you make money as a documentary filmmaker because every time I've talked to people they're like it's kind of a labor of love and I kind of don't want to believe that like I want to believe there's ways to like make it a profitable business and like make great work at the same time. Yeah. And I think it is possible. I'm still trying to crack the code myself. Um, for one, ultimately I, my goal is to get this distributed in the educational market for two reasons. Um, first, because I think that's the appropriate audience for this film is nurses, um, humanities students, people in college, um, that's who we really want to meet is get these nurses on the front end knowing what these medical families are going through. So it seems like an appropriate outlet as far as our audience goes. But secondly, in the educational market, you can make money. You know, um, every time they sell your film to a college, um, they split the profits 50-50 and you can potentially make some money off of your filmmaking. Um, there's a lot of distribution outlets sometimes uh, for the most part for small filmmakers you don't see any money in distribution um unless you're really savvy um but i'm working on it you know why because i got two kids <laughs> right yeah you know and and uh and you're young and you're just starting out and so absolutely try to crack that code there's a way to do it can i tell you what i think yeah, I mean, and I'll definitely continue this conversation with you even after this podcast, but like um something I'm really interested in is the the subscription model for independent creators because like you, there's a lot of big YouTubers with Patreon pages that where they make tens of thousands of dollars a month to create their work. Um and there's a lot there's like also like huge corporations that are subscription models and that's it's like we we have the ability to make literally make a website and and set it up so people can pay monthly and they can we can promise a certain amount of content so i so like to be transparent part of the reason i want to do this podcast like and start it up is to start building an audience to be able to do something like that and i think i think that's kind of a slept on thing that people don't really think of in filmmaking as much because there's already such an industry there, but I'm, I grew up in the YouTube era and where you made money from ad revenue. And then like 
sponsorships and all that. So I'm 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 curious to see if I can do that or like if other people will do it. Oh, you can absolutely do it. If that's what you want to do it, do do it. And yeah. I I think you're absolutely right to be thinking about your money. <laughs> Because eventually you might have a family or you might have goals outside of where you're at right now. Um, and, you know, everything is changing. You don't have to rely on the old system of distribution anymore because we have the internet. So um, what you're talking about, the subscription model is absolutely, you know, right on if you're the type of person who uh, wants to present yourself that way and build an audience like absolutely there's much success to be had um i'm actually you, collaborating with a um a company called blackbox.global i don't know if you've heard of them if you haven't you should blackbox.global write it down <laughs> um, famous plug yes yes and uh he's working on something called creative creator freedom and he started out with um you've heard of stock video yeah i have like two stock video subscriptions yeah so instead of having two you just submit it to black box and they put it out to four places so it saves you time <laughs> oh so it's like it's like anchor does that with podcast platforms so yeah yeah right yeah yeah i don't have a lot of time so if i can upload once and have someone else put it to four outlets like i'm all in so uh, but they're also That's working awesome. on uh, a you know well some distribution solutions for creators that will earn money because people want our content plain and yeah. simple they want to see what we got because we make awesome things but they don't necessarily want to pay if they don't have to. So make them pay. <laughs> like, don't give it away for free, you know? Yeah. Because uh, we need to pay our bills too. Right. I'm so, I feel like the starving artist thing, like, I feel like there's so much momentum against that now that it's like, like the guy who, the guy who um, is the CEO of Patreon, Jack Conti. He he's like Patreon's a huge company now. They spend they pay like three hundred million dollars to creators like last year. And he's all about like empowering the artist to the point where he'll like sacrifice his own company if it means that artists are gonna get paid more. Like it's not about him winning the race and making the most money for himself. It's like so I, I just think there's so much like there's there's an audience for that and there's like a market for that and it's like people wanna there's also a lot of people who do wanna pay creators too. Like, especially if you've given people free content for so long, like there's going to be people who want to return the favor. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But I do want to hear like a lot of, I've also heard other alternatives to like, if you don't want to like start a business and be like an internet creator and make documentaries that way or movies or whatever, people will say you could get a job in a, in a studio like National Geographic or like. Like I've found a documentary position at Barstool Sports online um, or or being a journalist. I would love to hear what it's like doing that on the journalist side. Um, so what is it like being a journalist? Is that like you because like because you 
you if I'm if I'm correct, you would you would be making videos and documentary style content as an independent journalist. Uh, so yeah, I, I worked for a newspaper, the Sacramento Bee, for 14 years, and we did. I did photojournalism, and then I did videography. So um, I left about two years ago. The industry had changed quite a bit, and uh, in a nutshell, wasn't happy anymore. So I moved on as an independent. Um, but when I worked there, it was a lot of fun for many, many years. Um, but as far as being a creator in the video sphere, uh, I think the most I did was shot, produced, and published three videos in one day, which is, is insane, like the speed at which we had to create this content. Um, the good thing about it is, is I got really, really fast. <laughs> so if people need something quickly, I'm able to do it. But I also felt the need to um, put more time and more quality in, into my work at some point. I wasn't happy with these quick turnover videos. But um, as a visual professional, pounding the pavement uh, five days a week, I mean, I, I feel very confident in my skills as a video journalist and as a photojournalist that I can do whatever I need to do. So it's a great job, um, especially for someone who's young, just out of college to cut their teeth and just like work really hard and uh, learn a lot, you know. And for some, they like that. They like that pace where it's just in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, but for me, I wanted to do something of more depth. Right. So then you, what is in, being an independent journalist like? Um, it's funny, though, owning your own business. It's, it's feast or famine, you know. Uh, in December, I had to turn down three jobs because I was too busy. I already had three jobs going. And then three more requests, I had to turn them down. And then after the New Year, these things really slowed down. And I'm like, hey, anybody want to hire me? <laughs> so it's like feast or famine and uh, it kind of comes and goes. So you kind of have to ride that roller coaster um, and have your irons in different fires, so to speak. So I've got a lot of things going on, uh, a lot of projects and, and, and it's fun. It's really fun, but it's good to also have a little savings account to cover those months where... Uh, there's not as much work. Right. So are you in, like, are you a freelance videographer or a freelance journalist? Oh, okay. So what's it like being a freelance journalist? Like, how does that process look? Um, well, to it, there's so many things that you could do. So it could be, um, you know, freelancing for AP or the local newspaper or whatever. I actually haven't done a whole lot of that since I went freelance in the past couple years. But for me, what it's looking like more often is that nonprofits want videos or even corporations. It could be nonprofits or corporations. They want a journalistic feel to their product. So they may want to make a video, but they don't want it to be all slick and corporate -y. They want something that's more immediate and journalistic and feel. And so um, that's kind of where I shine. And I have another colleague that I partner with in telling these stories. So we did some COVID-19 work. 
Um, I've worked a lot with healthcare, um, stuff like that. So they may be corporations or nonprofits, but they want journalistic style work. Gotcha. So how do, how would one listening to this podcast start getting into that if it sounds interesting to them? Um, I would say that when you're shooting, you would have to, um, not direct people at all. So if you want to say, okay, I want to get a journalistic style, don't tell people what to do. Say, I'm going to come in and I'm going to film exactly what you're doing and don't change anything for me. Um, because that's like rule number one when you're a journalist is you can't change anything. You can't even, you can't move a light. You can't move someone's soda can out of the frame. You can't touch anything. You have to shoot it exactly as it is and then get comfortable with creating visuals um, when you don't have that type of control. You're just responding to your environment and capturing moments as they occur. And so I'm um, not saying, well, you, you, you know, talk to this person. It's like, no, just get it as it's going. So ask when the action is and then film the action and don't change a thing. Um, and do that over and over and over and over again until you can like do it like super fast and do it well every time. I feel like you just described the same exact process of filming an on the go documentary, like, like uh, on location, you're just like you, I, my, my saying is like film now, tell the story later. Like that's an interesting thought. I, I saw that I was, you know, researching it a little bit and I was like, Hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about that because on the one hand I get your, your get up and go attitude. Like I love that. But on the other hand, I'm always filming to edit in my head. Maybe because being a journalist, I had to edit like so fast. I'm shoot to edit. Like I'm, I'm editing in my brain before I even get back to the office. Yeah. I, I would say they're not mutually exclusive. Like not like, like, first of all, I also made that video like a year and a half ago. So I, I think at the time I was thinking like, I didn't explain it well enough, but I do agree. Like the point is like, yeah, get up and go and like, don't, try to overthink it but too like you can't like when I was making my documentary that I made that video about every every scene I was shooting or scene that I was shooting it was like I was thinking like I was like trying to shoot a story that I was building in my head as it was happening like I was hoping certain things would happen and looking for certain behaviors and like it let if a team was like making a comeback I was like shooting it a certain way so yes I'm with you on that too I think to a certain extent though, filmmakers, they're gonna fall into one or two camp of two camps. It's either gonna be more of the journalistic style, documentary style, or the more of the narrative style. And they're gonna fall apart on either end. Cause some people, their heart is in narrative and they're like, well, I just do documentary because, you know, pays the bills or whatever. And- <laughs> Documentary pays the bills? <laughs> how <laughs> i've heard this on filmmakers groups but like i i feel like people either want to control the scene and they do well with that or they want to like let the scene play out and figure out how they're going to portray it and you're kind of inclined to one or the other um 
but as we're talking about building that story in your head, like there is some real good truth about what you said to do the story later, because sometimes you've got to let go of your own narrative to let the truth come out. Yes, that's what I've learned. Yeah, but like, that's what I've also realized recently is like, after months and months and months of editing the documentary I'm working on now, some new cream rises to the top and I'm like, I, I couldn't have planned for this, but it's so perfect and poet, like poetic, like certain like themes. And like, for example, like we shot a bunch of footage near the water and I didn't realize this until after, but like I can use that as a metaphor in the film to mean something. And I couldn't have planned that beforehand. And it's like that kind of stuff. Like I, I like to think of it as like the truth that is truth coming out that I, that I have no effect on. It's like the, it almost edited itself in there. So yes, yes. It really does when, when it reveals itself and it always does um, after some frustration, it'll just kind of like whoosh, come out and, it's like, I couldn't have written this, you know? No. I couldn't have come up with this. So for me, I, I like to respond to, you know, this synergy you have with your story and yeah. uh, that give and take of like molding the story, but then also like having it push back and becoming something else. You know, it's, it's a beautiful process t to me. Yeah, like the thing I've noticed in my limited experience has been I can only really pick the things that are intriguing to me that I, I don't have control over what's interesting to me I feel like I'm just I am who I am based on my own experiences so is everybody else and then you there's certain stories that attract you and it's just your job to kind of show up and not be some creative genius who like puts pushes his weight on everything because I don't think that exists in documentary filmmaking. It's more just like how empathetic can I be to like what's going on and then like know how to film it correctly and edit it correctly. But even when you think you're editing correctly, stuff comes up that's so genius that's not really your fault at all. Like it's there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like you fall in the documentary camp to me. I do. I was on a narrative set the other day, and I couldn't, like, it was so boring to me. I don't know why, but maybe that's why, like, what you just said, like, people fall apart on either end of the spectrum. Why do you think that? It's just two completely different ways of thinking, I think. I mean, I, I've been in situations where I've been hired uh, they say they want a journalistic feel and then they expect me to set everything up and I kind of fall apart in that situation because I'm like that's not how I work that's not how my brain works you know like I don't want to sit and arrange things I don't like I want to like come in and like let it move me forward and yeah. uh, it, when you say let it move you forward do you are you talking about like like the most is that what's so engaging to you about making a documentary is like being being in the now and like is that what you say by that like elaborate on that more 
Um, just the interaction, I think, or that that energy between uh, the filmmaker and the subject, or like you're really having to feel your way through it. You're responding to what's in front of you, right? Like you're paying key, keen attention to people's, um, you know, their reactions, their facial expressions, their body movements, and you're just responding to that. And then you've also got this uh, library of composition, color, like all of the technical aspects that you're dealing with. But then for me, I get into a flow state. I'm sure you've heard of that. It's a flow state where all the technical stuff is just, it, it's so ingrained in me that it just responds to the emotional. So the subject gives you the emotion and then the technical comes out of your brain and then together it creates your visuals. And that's, um, that's my flow state, you know? Uh, Arranging things and telling people what to do and say is not my flow state. And probably for uh, a narrative filmmaker, that probably is their flow state. Like they want to, okay, now stand here and do this. And like, okay, you know, it's just a complete, like you can't mix the two. It's not the same. <laughs> but that's, that's interesting. I've heard, I've heard the contrary though, which is documentary filmmaking narr and narrative filmmaking follow such similar principles in in from the bird's eye view like a lot of it is dealing with characters and positioning characters in certain situations and but also being empathetic enough to let people do their own thing like martin scorsese has made great narratives and great documentaries and he, he talks about it like it's the same thing like like if he's making a documentary with mick jagger he's letting mick he's literally just like letting mick jagger do his thing and capturing it and being empathetic to the moment. But also when he's working with Robert De Niro, he's not telling Robert De Niro how to act. And that's why people love working with him so much is because he's so he lets people do their thing so much. Um, but you've got to have actors that can do that. Yeah, he he's carried by very talented actors. Yeah, he didn't start off that way. Um, so maybe in the beginning, you have to bring that out of someone. It's like when you're photographing someone and they're a model versus not a model, right? Like if they're a model and they know how to do all the posing, then you can just respond. But if they're like not a model, you got to tell them exactly <laughs> what to do, you know, and it's a different thing altogether. I've also, go ahead. What you're saying, I can see what you're saying, that there's probably more in common than I'm giving credit for, which is why I say I'm an industry outsider in filmmaking. Yeah. I, here's my thing though I don't know jack shit about anything like I'm literally trying to learn right now so I'm just saying what I've heard and trying to like size it up against what you're saying that's a good attitude to keep for the rest of your career yeah that's what I yeah that's the plan <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep that out. yeah I mean that's what they yeah they say that's what you gotta do to sustain success it's like always be a student so cool well thank you I, I think we can wrap it up um i think it's been a half hour but thank you for your time um this was thank uh, literally just for anybody who's listening literally we had one interaction in a comment that was on my like my feed on instagram i didn't follow you i commented back on your post and then I was like, hey, let's do a podcast. So this is literally our first conversation ever. Um, but I think it was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely.
So. All right. Well, thanks for having me on and I wish you a lot of luck and I think you're going to do great. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll uh, stay in touch about my discoveries on how to make money with documentary. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. Thank you.